0: Hello to my listeners. This is Pastor Randy Starkey. I did these teachings on the end times and the return of Christ in several series several years ago when I was pastoring at Victory Church in Pevely, Missouri. One third of the Bible is prophecy, so we really need to be familiar with it, especially as it relates to our soon coming future. Although a few of my comments in some of these messages may be a bit dated and a few of my ideas are still developing, the truth of God's Word never changes. And there are at least three things that I remain strongly convinced of. All three of these I will touch on in these messages. So number one is this, the prophecies concerning the first coming of Christ were fulfilled literally in real life and in real time. So I have no doubt the prophecies concerning the end times and the second coming of Christ will be fulfilled in exactly the same way in real life and in real time as the Bible describes. I believe it is a huge mistake to spiritualize away end-time prophecy. The books of Daniel and Revelation are for sure filled with symbolism but those symbols represent real events that are going to happen in real time. And it's all getting closer. And number two, I believe God's people will be raptured, caught up to be with the Lord before God's wrath is poured out on the terrible sin and evil in our world. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says Jesus delivers us, not just protects us, delivers us from God's wrath to come. However, I don't believe that will exempt us from Satan's wrath and persecution of true believers and the revealing of Antichrist before the rapture happens. That persecution and pressure we are actually beginning to see happen even now. That is why Jesus said things like we must endure to the end be ready watch and pray don't be deceived and that we must be about our father's business and not draw back and then finally number three is this god is not done with israel jesus was jewish god loves the jewish people and the land of israel when jesus returns That's actually where he's going to land, on the Mount of Olives. There's much to say about Israel and the Middle East, and all of that is coming very fast. And so, as I said, I will cover all three of these points in these messages. And these are things that we need not be afraid of. When we have surrendered our heart and life, to Jesus as our Lord and Savior and we're walking close to him we have his direction his guidance his love his grace his power and the Bible even says look up for your redemption draws nigh however in these days we all need to be walking really close to Jesus and let me say a word to any of you listening today that maybe you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've even been hurt in church or maybe it's been all religion to you. Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And Jesus wants you to know him. He is the only way to have your sins forgiven. He is the only way that you can get to heaven. None of us can be good enough on our own. He is the only way to really experience victory in your life and be prepared for eternity he left heaven came to earth gave his life on the cross for you shed his blood for you that you could be saved and be forgiven the Bible says there's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved it's the name of Jesus he's the true Savior so I pray you will open your heart to him receive him as your Lord and Savior. Allow him to forgive your sins so that you can be ready when he returns. It's really not a pretty picture and there is much to be afraid of because God is God and sin must be dealt with. And so without Jesus, we really are in a world of hurt. So, open your heart to him today. Hey, a good way to find out more about that, just go over to our church, Victory Church here in Peevely, and, uh Uh, They have an awesome... uh, Pastors Dan and Paige Lord are doing a great job. There's an awesome little book there you can pick up free called Fresh Start. It will give you everything that you need to get you going on your walk with Jesus. So all of this is why we must not only be saved, but be spiritually strong, awake, alert, and serving God. That's why I did these teachings. We have to stay strong in Jesus to know what's coming soon in the end times. And like Noah built the ark to the saving of his household, we must stay close to Jesus in the building of his church because the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And that is our forever family. So listen carefully and then check it all out in the Bible for yourself. God's love and blessings to each of you as you dive into these teachings. Amen. Praise God. Well, I've, had, I've actually been talking to several people, you know, about the election yesterday. And so there was a lot of things that didn't go the way I wanted it to go, especially Amendment 2, you know. But uh, you know, you do have to keep these things in perspective. So here's a couple thoughts that we had, you know, while while we we're discussing it. Is number one, you know, we have to do all we can while we can, when we can, and really that's all we can do. You know, after that, you just have to have to leave it into the to God's hands. And of course, people ultimately will reap what they sow. You know, so I mean, that's not going to change anything. But um, to kind of keep it in perspective, we always have to remember that politics is always second. I mean, Christians have a responsibility to influence our nation, whatever nation they live in, you know. But it doesn't matter what political choices people in a country make, politics is always second. How many of you know the first thing is always preaching the gospel? And see, so it doesn't matter what nation you live in, you still are going to be preaching the gospel. And get this, there will still be people that get saved. You know, there will be people that listen. And so, to to keep it in perspective, you know, even though, uh, you know, you can get real disappointed with certain results. Uh, how many of you are glad today you don't live in Saudi Arabia? <laughs> you know, so you still have things to be thankful for, right? You know, because if you lived in Saudi Arabia, they wouldn't even let you be in church tonight. So uh, you could get arrested for it. So, And then here's another perspective, and this comes right out of this Revelation class. We have to do all we can while we can, but sooner or later we have to realize the whole world's going to be under the influence of Antichrist, so it won't matter anyway. You know, so it'll get down at that point in time to nothing but the gospel. Amen. So anyway, you do have to. Perspective is an amazing thing. And uh, so keep everything in perspective, although that doesn't change the fact that we still need to do everything we can while we can, when we can, because it creates a better nation, which actually creates a better environment to preach the gospel. So anyway. All right. So we are in the final week of Revelation, class 8, and we are on chapters 20 through 22. I wish I'd have had, you know, there's certain parts of it that I didn't get to spend as much time on as I wanted to. One area that I really kind of went by real quick was um, um, the salvation of national Israel, which is Revelation 14 there where Jesus touched down on the Mount of Olives. And at that point in time, uh, many of the Jewish people... um, that had not already been killed, you know, or that didn't take the mark. Really, it says they looked on him whom they pierced, you know, and really Israel comes to their Messiah. So a lot of things I could have said about that. I just didn't have time. This is a little, at the end of class, you can come up tonight. This really is a cool little chart. I'm not going to sit here and say that every last little detail of this chart is right uh, because I think there's probably certain aspects that we don't fully Understand yet? Anyway, I think God is really making much more of it clear than it was uh, some years ago. But I think probably, and the author of this chart would tell you that. That, uh, but as you can look at this, there's a lot happening. We have tried to sometimes oversimplify all the different things that are happening in the end times, and really, I'll be honest with you, there is a lot that happens in Daniel 70th week. I mean, a lot. Uh, how many of you enjoyed movies like um, Chronicles of Narnia and Lord of the Rings, you know? Aren't those inter... A lot of the plots are very interwoven. You get all these different... Especially Lord of the Rings, all these different peoples and that. I'll be honest with you, the end times is very much like that. There's things happening in Israel. There's things happening in the Gentile nations. There's things happening in the church. I mean, there's... So these different things here represent streams of of things that are happening. And so um, th- this is worth a look, you know, like I said... It's not the, uh, I'm sure, the, the final thing. But, but I'll say this, this, and this would be, if you wanted a name for kind of what I would teach theologically or what I believe the Bible really teaches about the rapture, I would really call it the pre-wrath rapture, okay, which basically, basically is like what we've been sharing. We are out of here before the trumpets and the seals but we need to stand during the time of the false deception of Satan during the reign of Antichrist. So uh, that's, if you want a little theological title for kind of um, this chart, that would be it. And I think biblically this is as close or as good as anything I've ever seen to this point. This is the truest to the Scriptures that I've seen. And um, I think that's a key for living with the Lord is you have to, Be true to the Scriptures. You can't just be true to your denomination or something you... Just because, you know, I mean, for years, people thought that there was no infilling of the Holy Spirit after salvation, and a lot of people found out they were wrong. So we have to humble ourselves before the Word of God and let the Word of God speak to us and not us speak to the Word of God. Amen? So, anyway, you can take a look at that. And at the very end of class tonight, i got a cool little one-and-a-half-minute video I'm going to show you. It's a rapture video. I think you'll get a really big kick out of it, you know. So um, it's not exactly totally theologically correct, but that's okay. It's a lot of fun to watch it, so <laughs> All right, so turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Revelation chapter 20. And what had just happened in Revelation 19 is the whole Battle of Armageddon, where um, the armies there under Antichrist had come against Christ, you know, and his armies, and they were pretty well roundly defeated. And so, in chapter 20, we pick it up, and it really kind of switches gears here, and um, we're beginning to look at what happens uh, at the end of Daniel's 70th week in going into the kingdom of Christ on earth. Remember all the great uh, exhortations there at the end of chapter 19, hallelujah, you know, Babylon, the world system, it's fallen, all that evil, and, and the kingdoms of, of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. And we talked about the tremendous importance of we live in the world, but we can't be of it. You know, Babylon will be destroyed. So we're to live in it, but not be of it. We have to be loyal and faithful to the kingdom of God. And the Bible says if you seek first the kingdom of God, everything else that you need will be added unto you anyway. Matthew 6, 33. All right. So let's look at chapter 20 here. And let's pray as we start. Father, thank you for this night. Thank you for your word. We just, Lord, um, thank you so much that you have given us the book of Revelation. And, Lord, it really is a revelation of how, Lord, you are going to come back and restore the kingdom of God to earth. So I just pray continue to open our hearts and minds as we study it tonight in Jesus' name. And refresh, Lord, everybody tonight, if they're a little weary from work or wherever they've been, refresh them, Lord. Quicken their bodies and their minds to be able to get something out of this tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Revelation 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. See, he was still running around. Antichrist and the false prophet had been thrown into uh, the lake of fire back in verse 20 of chapter 19 but the devil himself was still running around you know so uh it was antichrist is a man he was embodied by satan but satan was still on the loose so the angel took care of that all right and uh he cast him into the bottomless pit shut him up set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished but after these things he must be released for a little while And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison, will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, "'From whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, "'and there was found no place for them. "'And I saw the dead, small and great, "'standing before God, and books were opened. "'And another book was opened, which is the book of life. "'And the dead were judged according to their works "'by the things which were written in the books. "'The sea gave up the dead who were in it, "'and death and Hades delivered up the dead,' who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. All right, so let's so let's just talk about chapter 20 here for a little bit. You can tell it's kind of an overview-type chapter. There's some things that happen, you know, at the beginning of the 1,000 years, and sometimes some things that happen at the end. And uh, once again, this is the first introduction of the idea of a 1,000 years, and there's no reason not to take it literally. I mean, all of Daniel's prophecies were fulfilled literally. You know, the 69 weeks, the 70th week we know is coming, the 483 years was fulfilled literally. There's just really no reason not to take this literally, you know. Um, And so that's exactly the way we take it. We take it right at face value. And really, uh, although the term thousand years is not used until Revelation, it's not used in the Old Testament, there's all kinds of prophecies in the Old Testament prophets that talk about a kingdom age, you know. And you get this whole thing of uh, of the lion and the lamb laying down together, a wolf and the lamb laying down together, and they live to be, uh, you know, many years old. And so that kingdom age, e- even in, in Greek mythology, there there's millennial kingdom age type um thoughts you know and a lot of that has its roots in the hebrew scriptures you know and so um there's just absolutely no reason not to take it literally uh and so that is exactly you know what we do And remember one of the thoughts always on the bible is you just take it at face value unless there's very good reason not to okay so um there's no reason to really doubt here that uh the lord is talking about a thousand year reign you know on the earth now let's pick up a couple things here Go back to the beginning of the chapter. As I mentioned, uh, the angel was given the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. Now, probably the chain is not a, a literal chain because Satan is a spiritual being. So it's, it's a spiritual chain of some kind from God. And he is, uh, bound and he's bound a thousand years and he's put in the, in the bottomless pit there. Remember the bottomless pit, uh, we saw through the whole book of Revelation. It's, it's some kind of an abode. A place where God has there are some demons locked up there and 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 uh, wicked angels locked up there and they can't seem to get out unless by God's authority they're let out, and so I think that may have that may all go all the way back to the time of Noah, when we have the whole giants and that whole deal, you know, and God said He locked them up. Peter called the place Tartarus, and um uh. You know, we looked at a couple of those scriptures. So you come across this all through Scripture. This idea there there is some place where where God locks up evil forces if He wants to, and so wherever it is, He locks up Satan here at the end of Armageddon. Antichrist and the false prophet are thrown in the lake of fire, and uh, Jesus has returned on His white horse. He sends an angel to actually grab a hold of Satan by the neck and take a spiritual chain of some kind wrap him up spiritually and put him in the bottomless pit. And uh pretty, pretty awesome picture there, but it, it gets rid of the devil for a while. But it's not quite over yet. So it says they shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more um, till the thousand years were finished. So even at the end of the millennium, the devil kind of gets one last shot, but it only lasts for a split second. <laughs> it's like It's like it doesn't go on as long as it does now. You know, it's like, Almost the moment he tries to do his thing, it's like, you know, God sends down fire. But he does give him one last shot, and I'll explain to you why. Uh, but anyway, I want you to circle one word. Circle the word deceive in verse 3 so that he should deceive the nations no more. You've got to remember one thing about spiritual forces of darkness and about the devil. One of the main tactics that the devil uses is deception. And deception is like thinking you're okay when you're not or thinking something is right when it's not. Or thinking something is the answer when it's not, and that is of course every like all the people that are followers of Islam, it's a deception. It's thinking Allah is going to reward you with twenty-five virgins, and guess what? He's not. They're going to end up in hell. So that's why you know it's so important that that we preach the gospel and that we declare the truth to the whole world. You know, to anybody we can so that they understand that only Christ paid the price for sins and that without Christ in our heart, there is no forgiveness of sins, you know, and that we can't we can't be saved. And so, uh, and of course, there's many other deceptions, you know, spiritual deceptions, and we just need to, there's a lot of people in American churches today that think that because they belong to a certain denomination, they're on their way to heaven. It's a deception. It's a deception. You know, it's like you've heard me say before, other people have said it, going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. You know, you have to have a fresh, ongoing relationship with Christ, you know, to be right before God. And so this is one of the, the, and that when they asked Jesus in Matthew 24 about what the signs of the end times were, he said, take heed that no one deceive you. So we have to stay close to Christ. We have to, you know, allow the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and, and guide us and lead us because obviously multitudes of people are going to be taken in by Antichrist's kingdom. So anyway, that, that's just a good word to circle in verse 3 is deceive. Okay, and then after that, he'll be released for a little while. Now, verse 4, I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. So um, there is a judgment that is going to... There's actually several judgments that take place here as we get to the end of Daniel's 70th week. One of them is in Matthew 25, uh, where the sheep and the goat type judgment there's going to be a judgment. There is actually a judgment of Christians, um, 2 Corinthians 5, that will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It won't necessarily be a judgment to salvation, although, there are, like I said before, there are some people, I think, especially in America, that think they're Christians who really aren't. It all gets back down to have they are they really born again? Have they really repented of their sins? Have they really put their faith in Christ? And are they following Him? Is He not just Savior but Lord, you know? And... Uh, Jesus said, you know, why do you call me Lord? Lord, and don't do the things which I say. So, uh, and that's, a, that's another whole, whole deal there. But so uh, we have to really help people to make sure they have repented of their sins and really have Christ in their heart and are following him. So there's these, and of course the judgment of the nations in Matthew 25 is sheep and goats. And that has to do with really whether people uh, helped Israel. In the last times that 's what that there 's going to be a lot of Gentiles that go all the way through daniel 's seventieth week that don 't take the mark of the beast that somehow sense that it 's wrong, but yet there'll be a judgment there as to whether they you know helped Israel or not because many Jews will be of course also not taking that mark and, and we mean and probably i don 't know that we even fully understand everything about uh, all the different judgments of God that will take place. But if you look at Hebrews 5, it's actually one of the foundation stones of the church and of the kingdom of God. Uh, It talks about repentance from dead works, faith toward God, teaching about baptisms, plural, water baptism, baptism of the Holy Spirit, and um, uh, resurrection of the dead. That's our hope. And listen to this, eternal judgment. So um, some Christians think they're not going to be judged at all because they have Christ in their heart. That's not true. Christians are going to stand before the judgment seat of God for how well they obeyed the Lord. And like I said, some people are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and actually thought they were saved and weren't because they had religiousness, but they didn't really have Christ. So, (laughs) pretty awesome thing. And so it's important to remember, too, that it's a key thought in the end times that, that God will judge. In other words, the problem with the world today is sin and the devil. And every human being has a choice. Are we going to follow God or are we going to follow sin and the devil? It's not that complicated, you know. And we know the only way, you know, we can't do it in our own willpower. We have to humble ourselves before the Lord, repent of our sins, receive Christ as our Savior, but then we have to continue to follow him. And so, anyway, judgment is a key theme in the end times. I I could spend a lot of, we could study a lot of scriptures on that, which we don't have time to do, but it's good to write that down and think of that. You might even want to make it a little... Bible study for yourself sometime, you know. All right, in the middle of verse 4, Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the Word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now, I want you, this is a specific group. This is those who had been beheaded or killed, martyred for their witness to Jesus And for the word of God. So, uh, they were resurrected at this time at the beginning of the millennium. These are those, they, they, they were not in the rapture. Okay. Back in that we studied in Revelation chapter six and seven. They were not in the rapture right here. Okay. They're at the beginning of the millennium here is when they were resurrected. And it's specifically those who were killed for their witness to jesus and the word of god well who would that be that would be people that got saved after the rapture you know gave their heart to christ somehow after the rapture maybe maybe when you'll see this little video i'll show you at the end of class but maybe you know they heard christians preaching they somehow didn't want to take the mark of the beast and all of a sudden when all these christians go to heaven you know they go oh i think they were right (laughs) <laughs> you know, and so they could say that. Or also, don't forget the 144,000 Jewish Christians that the Lord set a seal on their forehead. And so they're preaching all the way through. They're preaching all the way till the end. And a lot of them will be martyred as they preach to their brothers, you know, in Israel. And so you've got a lot of people actually during, and, and of course you've got also got those. Now those that, that were martyred, Before the rapture, they'll go up in the rapture. So, this is people that actually died after the rapture, but yet before the end of Daniel's 70th week, okay? So, this whole group is resurrected here. It's a very specific group. It's almost like, you know, the Lord um, put his hand on them in a special way and uh, resurrected them. But, verse 5, watch this now. It says, the rest of the dead did not live until the thousand years were finished. All right, this is the first resurrection. Now, When you read that, this is the first resurrection, that doesn't mean this particular resurrection is the first resurrection because we already have studied, you know, Scripture's got to fit Scripture, right? So it's not going to contradict itself. So we've already seen a whole chapter, Revelation 6 and 7 there, of the rapture. And we know that those that were dead in Christ, you know, they were resurrected at that time too. So this can't be the first resurrection in the sense of the only one. Here's what... Here's what that really means. It's really the end of the whole first resurrection. The first resurrection really is prior to the millennium. The second resurrection is at the end of the millennium. Okay? It's like the first coming of Christ. A lot of things happened in the first coming. The second coming of Christ, a lot of things are happening in the second coming. This is kind of like the, the, what, what the Lord is saying here is this is or this completes the first resurrection. When the martyrs that died, you know, after the rapture, when they're resurrected right before the millennium, okay, that's it. That's the end of the first resurrection. Nobody else can be resurrected resurrected anymore until the end of the millennium, okay? So there's all kinds of dead unbelievers that are not resurrected during the millennium. They won't be resurrected for another 1,000 years. And that's when the great white throne judgment happens. So, but because of the martyrs who died for Jesus, the Lord wants them around during the millennium. It says they're going to rule and reign with Him for a 1,000 years. So he resurrects them, you know. And when it says this is the first, resure- first resurrection, that means that's the end of it. We, so what we have really is, I mean, the first resurrection is made up of the rapture. Actually, Christ in First Corinthians 15, we don't have time to go there, he's called the first fruits. So Jesus' resurrection was the first fruits. He was like the first of the first, you know. So you could say the first resurrection really began with Christ as the first fruits 2,000 years ago, you know. And then, of course, the rapture. And then we have what else? The resurrection of the two witnesses. Okay? The Lord resurrects them and calls them right to heaven. You know? So the first resurrection is everybody who's resurrected before the millennium. Okay? And that's the end of the first resurrection. The second resurrection um, actually takes place at the end of the millennium. All right. Now, verse 6, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So if you make it to the first resurrection, hallelujah, you are home free. You have passed the test. You have made it, you know. So, hey, if you go up in the rapture or, you know, um if you have a friend who gets saved right after you go up and they die for the Lord, you know, they're going to be Part of those martyrs, you know, if you make it to any part of the first resurrection, you're home free. You have passed the test. And over you, the second death has no power. Now, what is the second death? Okay. It actually tells us a little bit later here. I believe it's verse um, uh, 14. It says, Death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So, what's the second death? The lake of fire. Now, what does that mean? It means that the first, what, what, what is it? it just, let's think logically. What is the first death? It's when you die physically. And I, t- I always tell my membership 101 class a lo- this because a lot of people that maybe haven't thought about life spiritually misunderstand this. Death does not mean you cease to exist. Death is a separation. Okay. When you die physically, you are separated from your body. If you have part in the second death, this is the scary thing, you are separated from God. And and you are stuck for eternity with the devil. That's a scary thing. But that is, you know, we have to understand God takes sin seriously. We just have to, you know, the problem we have as humans is, is we just somehow want to camp on the love of God. But the Lord said in Romans 11 when he was talking about Israel, he said, Behold the goodness and the severity of God. God is giving his grace as long as he can so that as many people as possible can get saved and walk with the Lord. you know. But it's not greasy grace, and it's not sloppy agape. Uh, let me just tell you what makes no sense at all. Here's what makes no sense at all. Can you imagine it would make any sense for you to repent of your sins, humble yourself before God, ask Him to forgive you of your sins, which is what screwed up your life and screwed up the world, and then keep living in sin? Now, how many of you know that does not compute? So, But you know a lot of Christians want to live that way. They just want to treat Christianity as fire insurance. Let me tell you something. Christianity is not fire insurance. Christianity is a doorway of the power and love of God in being able to live for him. That's what it is. And the closer we get to the end times, the more people are going to be rattled to their boots because they're not take, they're not they're not understanding that the whole idea of the gospel is not just to forgive you and then let you go keep living in sin. That that just doesn't even compute, you know? And um or Billy Sunday said this, don't expect to burn the candle at both ends and blow the smoke in God's face. You know, it won't work. Now, there are people who, you know, uh, can get saved in their deathbed. They don't get much reward. But the thing is, we're accountable for what we know. And when we know better, once you discover the gospel, you've got to live for the Lord. Can I hear an amen to that? Okay. So um, the second death is a terrible thing. And it's separation from God forever. But here's the cool thing. If you are part of the first resurrection, you're home free. You've passed the test, all right? And the second death has no power over anybody who makes it to the first resurrection. Okay, and they shall reign with Christ, uh, reign with him a thousand years. Now, when the thousand years has expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth Et cetera. And there's a lot of them now. Why? Why does that happen? Well, I believe because really you got to understand there are some groups here that go into the millennium in natural bodies. People that didn't take the mark of the beast but are still alive physically. All right. They're in, they're, they're not in. They're not in resurrected bodies. So uh, there's going to be, you know. Uh, you can come up and look at this Sunday when you get time, but there's going to be some uh, Jewish people and there's going to be um, some Gentiles, you know, that go into the millennium uh, uh, in in physical bodies. And so now there's a lot of prophecy about how when Christ comes, the millennium is going to be an awesome time, peace on earth, beat their swords into plowshares and all that. But it is still not quite over, you know, Still not quite over. It's, a, it's amazing how long God's grace is going here. You know how how much long suffering and patience He has. You know, and so you've got people here that 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 go into the millennium, and what happens is at the end, you know, they're going to have children throughout the whole millennium. That that the, the, the popul- human population is going to continue to grow through the millennium, and you and I, you know. We live for Christ and we go up in the rapture. We actually will be ruling and reigning with Christ during that millennium time, okay? And so those those human people will actually be interacting, and then we'll get into that in chapter 21 and 22. Those human people will actually be interacting with resurrected saints, you know? And so they, and Christ will be physically present on earth. I'm getting ready to show you here how diabolical and how deceptive sin and the devil are. So and Satan is bound during this time, okay. So really, there's 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 not any evil demonic presence in the world. But here's the thing you got to remember: if you are not yet resurrected, if you are not brought into Christ in a glorified body, all those people, okay, that are still on the earth in physical, uh, unresurrected bodies, listen to me now: they still have sin in their hearts there is still the fallen nature in their hearts. And that's why the Bible says Christ is going to rule with a rod of iron. You know how he's going to keep... And it says the nations will come to Jerusalem. So how will Jesus have peace on earth during the millennium? He's going to rule with a rod of iron. <laughs> he's And the cool thing about Jesus is he's not a bad dictator. He's a good one, you know. He's a good king. And so he's what? King of kings and Lord of lords. So when he rules on the earth... You know, um, there's going to be, you know, he's going to kind of like, how would you say it, limit, you know, all evil. But to say that all evil is gone in the millennium isn't right because there is still that sinful nature in human hearts. And actually, the Bible isn't really clear on this, but, but as we as resurrected saints rule and reign during the millennium, I believe we'll be sharing with those people and teaching them, you know, the things of God. And whether the born-again experience works exactly the same during the millennium, I don't know. It probably does. probably does, just exactly like you and I experience it right now, except Christ will be present on earth. You and I will be ruling and reigning with him in resurrected bodies, and there will be all kinds of people in the millennium that kind of like a, you could call it the second wave, you know, and they will actually have a chance to live their life for Christ. But, uh, and they die too. They die, you know. There's a lot of passages in a lot of the prophets that if I had about 35 lessons, we could go and look at all these different scriptures, you know, and it talks about that life will be extended, you know, and and that all the animals will be at peace. There will, there will not be any uh, violence or animosity among the animals at all. So just the presence of Christ on earth does a lot of things to bring peace, you know. But there is still that fallen nature in their hearts, you know. And so, um, and you and I are gonna rule and reign with Christ and probably be, you know, teaching a lot of people a lot of different things, you know, about the Lord. But the Lord has to kind of have a final test. I mean, hey, when you go to school, how many of you know you gotta have a test, right? I mean, that's what we talked about in the whole end times that we're you and I are gonna walk through. Okay? So it says there in um uh verse seven, he's gonna let Satan out of his prison, you know, for a little while. And he's going to go out and deceive the nations. And so, in other words, all of a sudden, this spiritual power is going to be released. And some of these people that haven't submitted their lives to Christ again, you know, same thing we see now, they're going to say, well, maybe this Jesus guy that's ruling and reigning in Jerusalem, you know what? I think we could do a better job. It's like the five-eye wills of Satan in Isaiah 14. And so what they do is they, they organize this little rebellion here. And I say little because it would probably be big, but it's little to God and uh you know the whole thing of Gog and Magog and i will say this i don't have time to go there but scholars disagree a little bit on whether ezekiel 38 and 39 are really talking about this war here this rebellion or whether it's talking about more armageddon and i tend to i tend to lean toward that it's really not uh, that, that ezekiel 38 and 39 are, are for us that they're in our end times because there just doesn't seem to be a lot in the bible about you know, there's not as much about the millennium, but I, I you know, I'm not going to be dogmatic about it. Maybe it's a even a thing where it's kind of a double fulfillment. It talks about Israel living in peace, but anyway, look at this. They gather together, uh, gather them together to battle. You know, and in verse nine it says they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. What's the beloved city? That's Jerusalem. But God doesn't even God doesn't even mess with it. Here's what I think God feels. Hey, you know, when you're living in this life now. With the deception of the devil, he gives us he gives a lot of space to preach the gospel. But this is the millennium. He's like saying, "Okay, you guys have got resurrected saints walking around in spiritual bodies, telling you about the power of God and the love of God. If you haven't figured it out by now, you're probably never going to figure it out. If you're not going to repent by now, you're you're just you're just." Rebellious, you know. So the Lord doesn't even let this go on. He doesn't even have a Daniel 70th week with angels flying through heaven and preaching. He doesn't even give them that long. It just says, fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. It's like, whoops, crispy critters, gone. <laughs> you know, I mean, and really the Lord is that way a lot. The more we know, the more we're held accountable for. So these people in the millennium, they there's a, I'm sure a bunch of them are saved, you know, because they they've turned their hearts to God. You know? and they'll be resurrected here at the end of the millennium and get resurrection bodies, but there's a bunch of them that die here in rebellion. It's almost like God is so merciful and long-suffering he gives one more wave. you know it's the kingdom of God on earth, but yet at the very end of that it's only the very end He lets Satan out of his prison and and he, and, and there's actually people that are still in their physical bodies that get deceived and uh, just like there'll be people that, that are lost in our age too. Okay, and after that, of course, that's, that's the end of the show. Look what happens in verse 10. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. That happened in chapter 19. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So that's it. And that's a frightening thought. I mean, it's, it, that the devil, you know, all of that. I mean, it's just a frightening thought of how God treats evil and sin, his eternal torment. A lot of people have trouble in their mind with eternal torment. I have trouble in my mind with that. But we have to, here's the thing, let me say it again. We need to let the Word of God speak to us, not try in our human emotions and understanding to speak to the Word of God. Don't make that mistake. Because you'll end up where a lot of liberal people end up today. They actually get to the point where they don't even believe in the divinity of Christ. They don't believe in His miracles. They don't believe in the blood. They, you know, they try to make the Red Sea three inches deep. (laughs) What a joke. It's because they let their human mind starts to try to speak to the Word of God. No, no, no. We've got to realize God says, My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And I'll tell you, a tough concept to grab a hold of is that God treats sin that seriously, that it actually requires eternal torment. Whew, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a mind-blowing thought. But I'm telling you, that's why God takes as long as He does. That's why He's giving people chances now to get right with the Lord. That's why it's important for us as Christians to walk uprightly with God and take our walk with the Lord seriously. you know. And I think also it's why he didn't give them much time here at the end of the millennium because they had been hearing it for a thousand years. You know, They're living longer. They're talking to people in resurrected bodies. If, uh, if they're going to repent, they would have done it by then. All right, verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, him who sat on it, from whose face the earth. The heaven fled away, and there was no place found for them. Watch this verse 12. I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were open. Now, when he saw the dead, this is the, it doesn't call it this, but this is the second resurrection by inference from the first resurrection. <clears throat> and so what's happened here is now the Lord has resurrected everybody. I saw the dead, small and great, all the dead, standing before God. Okay, and books were open. Now, this is interesting here. Watch this. Books, plural. Circle that word, books, plural. I believe it's just the Lord's record of our lives, you know. It's plural books. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. So you've really got two sets of books here. You've got one book, which just has names in it. It's the book of life. It only takes one book for that. But there's many other books, which are records of people's lives. What they did, how they responded to God, you know. And so, uh, and then, then it says, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books, plural. So, it's like we're not only judged just by whether we accepted Christ or not. That, obviously, is where salvation begins. But we're judged by our works. And even those that didn't receive Christ are judged by their works. And I don't have time to go there. and We could probably camp out there for a while, but and I, I, don't, I can't remember the reference, but, but uh, I was going to write it down before tonight and I forgot, but there's actually a reference in one of the Gospels where it says those that um, kind of like knew better and still did wrong anyway, they were beaten with many stripes, but those that were ignorant were only beaten with a few stripes. And so I actually believe there's the possibility that there are actually degrees of punishment in hell. You know, I mean, and we're getting into some things now where obviously the one key teaching in Scripture is that hell exists and it's a place of torment. So it's like, do you get a lot of torment or do you get semi-lot torment? Uh, You know, I don't know that it matters. (laughs) It's a pretty frightening thought either way. But the Bible does actually teach. and, And, you know, so someone who's a, you know, so someone like Hitler, he might have about a thousand demons assigned to him and he might have, Double, triple, quadruple the torment of another person who's in hell. Because it says here they're judged according to their works. You know, what else could it mean? Because then you got the other book, the book of life, that has to do with those that really had given their heart to Christ. And there is a judgment of Christians according to works too. That's not so much for where you will spend eternity, but how you will spend eternity. It has to do with rewards and things like that. You know, but as I said, there's a fine line in in many churches in America where they, they you got people that even think they're saved that are not. That's what's scary, you know. And uh, that's where that's where you start messing with that, you'll rattle some cages. But you know what? I'm i being honest with you, there's some cages that need to be rattled today. You because know, otherwise, how are they gonna get saved? So anyway, but then look at verse um Uh, 15 and it says here and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire so the foundation of salvation is having your name written in the book of life how does that happen not just by good works it happens because you received Christ and because you've repented of your sins and you've given your life to Christ you know and by grace you're following him so uh, you're not ever saved by works but there is a judgment according to works and actually Um, all of the dead were judged according to works. And so if there was no, how would you say degrees of torment in hell, I I, I don't even see how people could be judged according to works because everybody whose name is not found written in the book of life, verse 15, is going into the lake of fire. So anyway, verses 12 to 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 verse 15 are pretty frightening, scary verses, you know, and, um, you know, if you, have a, if you ever have a friend who's a real strong unbeliever and just doesn't want to believe it, just read them those verses. <laughs> you know, they may get mad at you, but maybe you get them thinking. <laughs> you know, So sometimes you just have to, you know, go, go, go the... Um, uh, sometimes when, when all else fails, you break out the big hammers, you know. <laughs> it's like, if love doesn't work, try fear. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so those are some pretty uh, powerful verses. Verse 14, death and Hades... We're cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Hades is that place in the center of the earth right now. Remember, Abraham's bosom was emptied when Jesus went to heaven because he paid the price so that now all the all the, those that had died in faith could go to heaven. Ephesians 4, he said, led captivity captive. But then there was a great gulf that separated them, and um, the rich man was over there not because he was rich but because he didn't obey and live for God. You know, God doesn't have a problem if you're being rich, you know. As long as it's him that's making you rich, and number two, you're using it for his glory. But, you know, in fact, he paves the streets with gold, so he definitely doesn't have any problem being rich, does he? <laughs> and that's in these chapters. But anyway, so he was in torment, in flames. Well, that's Hades. That's the Greek word, Hades. Sometimes we just translated hell, but actually the, those people in Hades will literally be cast into the lake of fire. So if they thought Hades was bad, they haven't even arrived yet at their final destination i mean that's a mind blowing thought but people just have to understand how terrible evil is and how terrible sin is and the bible says clearly hell was not prepared for people god doesn't want one person to go to hell that's that's why he is waiting so long you know but some people misinterpret god's waiting to think that he's not going to ever do anything that's wrong Okay, By Peter even talked about that. But uh, he's waiting because he doesn't want one person. You know, the Bible says clearly that the, the hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. God never wanted one person to go there. But sin is sin. Evil is evil. God himself doesn't have any choice because he's a just God. So those that don't turn to Christ, that's, that's where they end up. So we've got to take it seriously. We've got to take living for the Lord seriously. and We've got to take righteousness seriously. You know, it begins as a gift of grace in our life, but then we walk it out by God's grace, and that's where the whole works comes in. All right, so that's a whole picture there of the millennium, you know. You have this whole thing of, of, uh, and of course, you know, the real, some of the scriptures that talk about how beautiful the kingdom is and, and, the, and the peace of God and all that. Many of them are in the Old Testament prophets, and and we just don't have time to go there. Um, I think sometime I'm going to put together a list of all the scriptures in the Old Testament. I haven't had time to do this, but all the scriptures in the Old Testament that talk about the kingdom age, you know. And, um, and that, I think that would be, be a good reading for everybody. All right, now let's go to chapter 21. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Then it kind of switches gears a little bit in verse 7 and it puts it more in the now. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So there's another scripture that defines for us what the second death is. Now, you know, there's two kind of flows of scholarship on chapter 21, one that puts this new heavens and the new earth after the millennium, one that puts it as part of the millennium, I tend to lean toward the latter. And let me tell you why. I believe that that the Lord is still describing here what happens in the millennium and what comes for His people. Now, look at verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth For the first heaven and the first earth, now watch this, had. So it's not like saying is passing away. It's not like something that is happening after chapter 20, okay? But it's actually John seeing another vision. Remember how we looked at the different chapters of Revelation and how different chapters would enhance, you know, what was going on at the time? I believe chapter 21 is an enhancement of chapter 20. And it's really describing some of the things that God is doing here during the kingdom on earth. Now watch this. I saw a new hymn. By the way, the word new in the Greek is the Greek word kainos, i <laughs> O-S. I'm speaking Greek. That's pretty good. And it's kind of like tongues, you know. All right, K-A-I-N-O-S. And um, it doesn't mean new in the sense of bringing something brand new into existence. It means Kind of like new with respect to time. Uh, in other words, the new heaven—it's not like the, the heavens and the earth were totally obliterated into nothingness, and then God made a new heaven and a new earth. That's not really what that word means. The, the word that means that in the Greek is the word "neos," "neos." That's what it means totally brand new. What this means is is kind of like new in time. It's the idea of renewing, or rebuilding, or making something new. You know, not in terms of the whole idea of creating something. Okay, so it's important to understand that. So, and and now watch this: for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And actually, one way you can translate the idea "passed away" is actually "perished." So, what's what, what's he what's he what's John doing here in verse one? He's saying that God is going to make the heavens and the earth new because the first heaven and the first earth, where you and I live now. They had perished. They had passed away. Now watch this. And there was no more sea. Well, remember one of the things that happened on the judgments is the seas had turned to blood. So, in other words, what, he was, what, what he's basically saying here, a lot of times people think that there was no more sea is somehow, you know, in, in the eternal state. Uh, but, uh, and, you know, you can study it yourself and have your own opinion. But I don't think really that's true. Number one, because, you know, I, I want to go scuba diving. I don't want God to take away all the fish and the pretty coral. I mean, I don't. I don't want to lose that. You know, so that's why I choose this interpretation. <laughs> no, you know. But I, no, really, I'm serious. I don't think. I don't think um, the idea here is that the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. That God, I think that I think that's a, those are negative statements, not positive statements. In other words, John is reiterating what had happened. What had just happened to the earth? You know, it had just perished. I mean, it's a wreck. The seals, the trumpets. I mean, and if you believe Ezekiel 38 is a picture of uh, Armageddon, it says there it takes seven months to bury the dead. So it's like, you know, I don't think the Lord's going to have a kingdom age for the millennium and leave the earth trashed. I just don't think that's going to happen. So what's he going to do? He's going to renew the earth. He's going to renew the heavens. And of course, you read Matthew 24 about signs in the heavens, you know, and and uh, so, and it talked about the stars falling from the sky. So there had actually been things that had happened in the heavens during Daniel's 70th week. It's going to be a pretty wild time. So I think what he's saying here is that the Lord, in other words, he's describing in chapter 21, he goes, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And um, so he's describing how God is remaking planet earth for the millennium. Okay, and, and let me t- show you another reason why I, I believe that is because in verse 4 where it says, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, there shall be no more death. In other words, we had just been resurrected. And when God says he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, I don't think there's going to be a bunch of tears in the millennium. So he's putting this in the context of right after Daniel's 70th week. So he's saying, all right, I'm getting another, uh, chapter 21, I'm getting a second vision here of some of the stuff God is doing during this time and so um you know now watch this in verse 2 then i john saw the holy city new jerusalem coming down out of heaven from god prepared as a bride adorned for her husband and we know you and i are called to be the bride of christ Uh, how many of you just believe god's not going to wait a thousand years to get married (laughs) right makes sense so Immediately after Jesus destroys, you know, locks up Satan and destroys the beast and the false property, he, I believe he's, he's beginning this program to renew the earth for the millennium that we can have a nice place to live. And um, so the new Jerusalem is a picture. It's a heavenly city. It's awesome. Now, you remember when Jesus said in John 14, he said, you know, I'm going away, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. You believe in God, you believe in me. Let not your heart be troubled. In my Father's house are many mansions. Now, the size of this city is huge. Let me get the right scripture to show you that. because We won't have time to cover all these scriptures and all this. But uh, verse 16, the city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with a reed, twelve thousand furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. That works out to about one thousand three hundred and eighty miles each way. That baby is coming down out of heaven. <laughs> no, you talk about any of you who watch Star Wars. This is what you call the anti Borg. <laughs> Do you see the, remember the Borg, that little square cube that used to fly through space? (laughs) This is the (laughs) anti-Borg. And I mean, it's awesome. It's beautiful. I mean, you read the description of it here. It's like, man, it's gates or pearls and it's awesome. You know, just a beautiful city. I mean, let me tell you something. 1,380 miles square each way. You know, you figure that out. I'm going to tell you something. You got a big mansion in there. (laughs) Big mansion, Okay. And so it's the new Jerusalem, and it's coming down out of heaven. And um, I believe it will come down right over Mount Zion because that is where the Lord's temple is. And there's no temple in this. The Bible says there's no temple in it. But uh, it's going to come down right over Mount Zion, and it's really going to be a picture kind of of the the merger of Israel and the church. And I believe that city is just going to basically hover Right over Mount Zion, and, uh, and of course we get into some real speculation here, you know, because you know you get beyond every little last thing that the Scripture says. But that's what it says. It said it's coming down out of heaven, and and if you start reading the descriptions of the New Jerusalem, and then start reading the prophet's description of Mount Zion, they're the same. They're the same, you know. And so basically, it's just kind of like I believe the holy city of Jerusalem, which which and again, it's described as the wife of the lamb. So it's like the Lord uses these two different spiritual terminologies. The city is definitely God's going to take care of every physical and material need. But also, it's, it's a whole idea of what God's emphasis is on the people. In other words, those that live in it are those that are the bride of the lamb. They are the bride of Christ. They're the wife of the lamb. It's interesting. It uses the word wife. You're not a wife until the marriage has happened. And remember back a few chapters in Revelation, the marriage took place in heaven after the rapture, okay? And so really when you're a wife, but guess what? The marriage supper hasn't come yet. The marriage supper of the Lamb is going to be once this heavenly city comes down and it's going to be one of the first things that happens. It's going to be a great celebration, great celebration in the millennium, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And uh, so anyway... I believe clearly chapter 21 is talking about, you know, in, in the millennium, millennium time. Chapter, verse 9 is where it says, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. But I want to draw your attention again to verse 7 where he switches gears and he says, He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. See, ladies, you have to be sons of God. I have to be the bride of Christ. So we're even. Uh, Sons is just a spiritual terminology for, you know, being a child of God. There are some verses where he actually says sons and daughters. But whenever you read son, it doesn't mean just the guys. Obviously, you know that. Just like when you read bride of Christ, it doesn't mean only the gals, (laughs) you know. It's spiritual, spiritual for love and faithfulness. See, that's, I mean, we're used to thinking in human terms of men and women, but God actually uses the whole illustration of the family and men and women to teach us the spiritual truth of love and commitment and faithfulness. And so just like you're faithful to your wife or your husband, we need to be faithful to Christ. Now, verse 7 says, he who overcomes. This is where, you know, I mean, it's just so important the church understand today that just from the day you get saved, it's not like over. You know, we have to walk with Christ. We're called to walk with him by faith, you know. Um, receiving Christ into your heart doesn't make victory automatic. It makes it possible, okay? So we have to be overcomers. Remember back in the first part of Revelation, all the promises were to the overcomers. So especially as an end-time book, and you and I as an end-time people, we have to understand we need to walk with the Lord and believe Him and live in His grace. Grace, by the way, is not... Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. Grace is, you know, is being having the power to overcome. And, uh, all right, anyway, so that's a, that's an important statement there in verse seven. And the Lord does this a lot of times through the book of revelation. He'll be describing to us what's going on. And then all of a sudden he'll interject, Hey, he who overcomes, it's almost like an exhortation that comes with, look at, to receive all this, to walk in all this, you need to live in faith. You need to, to walk with me. Okay. And it's not something to, uh, you know, that he's trying to scare us, although it does. <laughs> and, and the Bible says the fear of the Lord is a good thing. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is clean. And uh, in fact, Jesus said one time to his disciples, he said this, don't fear him who, after he's destroyed the body, can do nothing. He said, rather fear him who who can destroy both body and soul in hell. And what did he do? Is he talking about the devil? No. The devil has no power to throw you into hell, but God does. And so, and it's not that God wants to. You gotta understand, it's not that he wants to. But we have to understand he's holy and righteous, and he does have the power to do it. And so, therefore, we need to take seriously, you know, our walk with God. And Jesus was saying, you know, it's like we, we, we walk with the Lord because we love Him, but we also need to have a holy fear and realize. And, and and it's a fear of God because He's the one who's in control. But actually, too, we just need to realize that we need to stay away from sin. And then actually, verse 8, He just goes on with this exhortation and He starts describing people, you know, that are are not overcomers and are not walking with the Lord. The cowardly, look at that, even the cowardly. You know, how many of you know we need, we need to believe that God will give us the grace and the faith and we need to choose to have the faith that if we end up in Daniel's 70th week and we end up in the time of, of Antichrist, that we'll have the faith and the courage to say, devil, I'm not bowing down to you. Amen. Okay, so, unbelieving, abominable, murderous, sexually immoral, all that kind of stuff. And so those are all works. A lot of them are works. So again, it's just the importance of allowing the grace of salvation to work in our hearts and living it, living it out. And then he goes on and, he, and describes more here of the, uh, of the city. And, uh, you know, I, I just, we, we don't have time to, to cover all that. But let's skip down to verse. It's just a, be, it's a beautiful description of the city. And down to verse 22, it says, I know I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Now, there is a temple on Mount Zion, and Jesus rules from that millennial temple, but the church has never been a temple-type people because they are not Israel. But it's like the bride, the New Jerusalem, comes down and hovers right over Mount Zion, and you have this beautiful picture of Jesus ruling in Israel, ruling from Jerusalem with the church right there you know, in the new Jerusalem. All right. And um, verse 23, the city had no need of sun or of the moon to shine in it for the glory of God illuminated the lamb and it's light. Now watch this at verse 24 and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light and the Kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. That's the people that are still in human bodies, physical bodies. Okay. And it says the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. So, if saved there has the same sense of being born again that you and I know, which I think probably it does, it's saying they're the ones that walk in its light. And the kings of the earth, kings of of nations all over the earth bring their glory to Mount Zion and the heavenly Jerusalem. And there's peace on earth. But yet, You know, there is still some people that will be deceived, as we read in Revelation 20. But isn't that a beautiful description? In verse 25, it's gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. They shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And there shall by no means enter into it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So actually, the only people that can actually go into the city and go into the... uh, There are, are those that are saved. And so I guess what that kind of means is there are going to be some people out there on the fringes, you know, that that just won't even go there. And, you know, they maybe won't want to go there. and they Whatever, they just haven't quite yielded yield their hearts to Christ. And that's that whole thing of that final end-time rebellion of Satan. But there's still peace on earth because Jesus is on earth and he's ruling. His spirit, his presence, you know, is all over. But again, it's not, you know, it's not... Uh, And here's another thing, too. If chapter 21 wasn't talking about the millennium, then how could you ever even have the possibility of anything that defiles? Because once the millennium is over, I believe, you know, and and the devil is uh, wiped out for good, thrown in the lake of fire, fire comes down from heaven, I believe, I don't know what will actually happen then, but that will obviously be the time where sin is completely done away with. You know why? Because every single person who had sin in their heart is in the lake of fire. (laughs) So there's nothing left but saints and angels and God, and it's over. God will have given everybody a chance. So, and, um, you know, the Bible doesn't really uh, tell us a whole lot then of what goes on after that. Uh, Because really, chapter 21 and then chapter 22, again, is a further description of what's happening. Look at verse 1 of chapter 22. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Where is that? That's on Mount Zion. Okay? And in the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. You see, if people will open their hearts to Christ, I believe even during the millennium when they come into Mount Zion and they come into the temple and they come into the heavenly Jerusalem, they can actually be healed. Healed spiritually, healed physically. And that's where we get into some of the Old Testament prophets where they talk about how long they live, you know. So I believe this is a a description still of of the kingdom of God. And it says, now here's where, you know, you kind of, and and this is where you you get into the whole thing of, of prophetically, you know, where does this start turning into eternity? And, and how does God do it, which we just don't know. But in verse 3 it says, There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. They shall see His face, and His name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They, they need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. So some of this prophetically could start being after. You know the devil has been destroyed, actually, I think probably in the millennium the curse will be lifted, you know, but- exa- and, and we don't you know again, like I said, so you start getting into a look in eternity here, it might be a little bit hard to say exactly where all these scriptures exactly apply, but I'll show you something else here in a few verses that that uh again puts it back in the context of of still in the in the kingdom of God on earth, and we just don't know what all got cool things God has for us after that. All right, then he said to me, these words are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Now watch, verse 7, here's another interlude. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Once again, the importance of the book of Revelation. Revelation is the only one of the only books in the Bible that talks about itself. And says how important this book is. All right, now I, John, saw and heard these things, and uh, he felt he was so impressed and so powerfully overcome, he started worshiping the angel, and the angel said, No, don't do that. Now, watch this again. Verse 9 For I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. You want to stay on the right track? Let me say it to you again and again and again. Go to the Word of God. Go to the Word of God. Let the Word of God speak to you. Don't get into human reasoning. You'll end up deceived by the spirit of this world. Go to the book. Go to the book. Let the Spirit of God speak to you out of his book. Okay? Verse 10, and he said to me, Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. So Daniel's book was sealed, but Revelation now He's beginning to be a more open book, okay? And I believe what's going to happen, the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, it'll even be more open, and Daniel's prophecy will even be more open too. We talked a lot about Daniel's prophecy with the 70th week. All right. Um, oh, gosh, there's so many different things I could say here. And uh, verse 11, he who is unjust, again, it's kind of an interlude thing. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. It's kind of like, come on, make up your mind. Where are you going? Choose. God or the devil? Where? You know, quit sitting on the fence. It's kind of what the Lord's saying here, you know. Verse 12, and behold, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. There's that whole work again. It's not just a little pretty prayer you pray to receive Christ. It's living it. It's actually walking with God in life, you know. And so, again, you know, he's got these exhortations right in the middle of chapter 22. Verse 14, blessed are those who do his commandments. And some translations say that wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb and I'm not sure exactly, you know, the, the Greek manuscripts, but they're both good. <laughs> Can't go wrong with either one. <laughs> that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Now watch, verse 15, the reason I think a lot of this still is talking about the millennial kingdom, you know, and the importance of of, of walking with the Lord is because look at what verse 15 says. Outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral moral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. I don't think the Lord would say outside, you know, if they had already been cast into the lake of fire and it was all over. That happens at the end of the millennium, at the second resurrection. So really, all this stuff with the, the pure river and the water of life and the throne of God, that's all going to be here during the millennium. So who wants to have part in the first resurrection, huh? Yeah, be part of that. Absolutely. All right. So, then he says, verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. In other words, preach it. Preach it. Tell people this. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright morning star. Now watch, verse 17, it just kind of almost switches gears and gets tender. And the spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. Let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. So, if you look on your notes there, you know, um, I forget, I don't have my, I don't have a set of my notes with me, but first it's triumphant proclamation. Is that what I put there? Try, at the very bottom there. First, God gives you a triumphant proclamation. Hallelujah, the Lord God reigns and all that. Then he gives us what? A sober warning. Take sin seriously. Don't mess around. Don't get into fire insurance. You know, walk with God. And then he gives us what? A gracious invitation. You know, God doesn't give us a sober warning. just He's trying to be mean. He knows the consequences of sin. So then he gives this gracious invitation. That's really what we see in verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come, let him who hears say. And then in verse 18, it goes back again to the word of God. Watch this. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. So we're not to say things God doesn't say. Okay, in verse 19, if anyone takes away from the words of this book of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life. You know, people that don't believe that, that you can ever have your name, that you can ever become lost once you're saved, they ought to just try reading the Bible. I mean, that's what it says. God shall take away his part from the book of life. So when you got churches today, if they start preaching that, oh, you know that Antichrist stuff, that's probably not really real. That's dangerous preaching. You know why? Because they're taking away from this, the words of this book. And they're in danger of having their name taken out of the book of life. That's how seriously God takes this stuff, you know. And so, uh, you know, <laughs> it's and, and here's the thing. You, you don't need to be, it's good to have a holy fear of God, but, you know, how many of you know when God saves you and you accept Christ, He gives you the grace and the power to overcome if you want to, right? Your will, His power. Not willpower. Your will. Your will. His power. All the power you need. we got a song we sing like that. All the power you need. All the power you need is there. We just have to choose and say, hey, you know, I'm not going to play games with God. I'm going to walk with Him and trust Him. And, you know, He's merciful. You know, He knows knows we have it all figured out, you know. We don't have it all figured out. And uh, He gives you mercy. There's not only grace to be victorious, but there's mercy too. He doesn't expect you to be perfect. He just expects you to do your absolute best all the time with what he's shown you, okay? And um, don't be what the Bible calls a hypocrite, right? Trying to, you know, pretend you're something you're not, and just just go to the Lord and ask Him His strength, and He will. His power is available. All right. So uh, once again, verses eighteen and nineteen, the, the 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 importance of the Word of God, and then verse twenty. He who testifies to these th- things says, "Surely, I am coming quickly." Amen. Even so. Come, Lord Jesus. I love the way it ends. The grace. <laughs> oh, yeah. Give me grace, Lord. Right? <laughs> the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So the whole message is that we know this evil world is passing away. There's going to be some exciting, thing hap- exciting things happening in the end. God's going to get the victory. And um, we're going to stand with him and get the same victory. Amen? Who's going to be an overcomer in here? Yeah. All right. So. Amen. I need to stop there because I'm already overtime as usual. But uh, next week, here's what I'm going to do. You just if you, if I've stirred up questions inside you, uh, that's good, you know. And uh, but next week I'm going to. It's totally optional. Whoever wants to come, come. You know, if you if you don't feel you need to come or whatever. But I'm going to do nothing but Q and A. We're not going to go into any more chapters or anything. But we'll do nothing but Q and A. Just questions. And um, I'm going to try to get some lists of even some Old Testament scriptures that kind of describe some things that, that we didn't have time to go into. I'm going to try to bring a list of those. And so if, as you bring questions, I'm going to try to have a little reference up here where I'll be able to open up to some scriptures maybe and, and uh, read a few things that, that might help. So basically we're done. You made it. You graduated. <laughs> now all you got to do is live it. <laughs> but, hey, before we quit, I, wanna go, I, I just want to – now, I want to show you this funny – it's not funny really. It's serious, but it's an awesome video. And uh, Now, you know the whole thing of the rapture. We know Antichrist is going to be on the scene. It's going to be a very intense time. But also, Revelation 3.10, the Lord says God's going to be there to, you know, you will either be protected and led by God or you'll die, okay, which n- neither one of them is a bad deal. But uh, God will give you grace for either one. But actually, so I want you to, as you watch this video, even during that time of the persecution of Antichrist, I mean, there will still be, you know, life won't be completely uh abnormal. It's going to be you know, a lot of crazy. But, so in other words, you, you could actually be somewhere in a church service. might be underground. <laughs> but I, you know, and, there, and I want you to think now, there could actually be people in that church service that have not been convinced yet to turn their life over to Christ. And so with that thought in mind, you know, I, like I said, I don't believe that the rapture could happen any minute. I believe it won't happen until Antichrist is on the scene. But still, even with Antichrist on the scene, there's going to be people that maybe you're not going to believe. The church is going to be raptured, even though you tell them that, hey, receive Christ now, give Christ your life, you know, and and uh, you can go to heaven. <laughs> you can be raptured. So I want you, with that thought in mind, I'm going to run upstairs and I'm going to, I'm going to run this video for you, okay? I'm going to put it on over on that screen. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and God said... Let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light, and it was good. says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 42, watch therefore, for you do not know the hour your Lord is coming. I want you to know, church, that Jesus Christ could come this month, or he might come next week, or he could even come... video, isn't it? I just had to show that to you guys. <laughs> Anybody jump? <laughs> I'm bad, aren't I? I'm bad. Now, you know, that, that particular video is made from a standpoint of imminency, you know, that it could happen any second. But even, even under the reign of Antichrist, I don't know where you could get away with a church service quite that big and quite that public, but there will be people, even even though Antichrist is ruling, that won't believe, you know, that the church is going to be raptured. And so when something like that happens, how many of you know there'll probably be a bunch of people who get saved fairly quickly? <laughs> so anyway, I just thought I'd show that to you. It's a I saw that it first came out on YouTube. I don't know who uploaded, but we man, we've been trying to find it, you know, but Pastor Tim finally was able to get it someplace. So it um it may not be exactly theologically right, but Pretty cool video anyway and (laughs) then gets the point across (laughs) all right hey god bless you guys thank you for coming tonight that's the end of this class and i am going to have it on mp3s and cds give me a little while to get all that worked out those of you that mp3 players you can you can get it for go going jogging on your mp3 player or we'll, we'll get it on cds too for those of you that uh that want cds and uh we'll have it available what now it is already, yeah, you can actually listen to it on our website, uh, and just stream it. You can click on Revelation and you can sit there in front of your computer if you're doing other stuff and actually listen to each of the, of the teachings online free. And then next week, last final week, we'll have a Q&A and we'll find out how much we still have to learn yet, you know, which is probably quite a bit. But hopefully my goal was just to maybe make what we are coming into in the end times just a little bit clearer for everybody and cause us to maybe just look at the Word of God a little bit closer and a little bit clearer and not just go by religious teachings. Amen? Okay, God bless you guys. Have a good night. See you later.